Well, uh, welcome from Africa to all you all people. So uh, Susan and I just got back yesterday. So, uh, but she slept 15 hours last night, so she's going to be fine. Right. Yeah, I'm fine. I may be good for about another half hour. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I, I just, man, I cannot wait until uh, we have a chance just to download the trip with you. It'd been three years again since we had been there. So it really was like a reunion and a time of reconnecting mm-hmm. with each other. And it was just a fabulous trip. Mm-hmm. You want to say anything else mm-hmm. about it? No. No. That's okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but not tonight. <laughs> and it's fun to see some of our team spotted uh-huh. throughout here. Uh, man, what a fantastic team. You guys were represented really, really well with the people who were there. So, yeah, yep. give it up for them. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right. So we just thought we'd throw a message together. Yeah. No, we've been working on it before we got here. But uh, we're, we're in this series. This is the final one uh, on marriage. We really are talking about for better um, or worse. And uh, just so you know, the reason we put this series together was back, I think it was near the end of the summer, we sent you guys out a survey and said, hey, what are some of the topics that would be most helpful for you, um, both that would help you in your discipleship with Jesus? What are some of the topics that you need practically for your own life? And marriage was one of the ones that came up um, as one of the top things that people wanted to talk about. So just wanted to let you know that's why we decided to do these three, three weeks, because um, marriage is, is, a, is a really important thing. For any of us who are married, anybody want some help with marriage? <laughs> don't know. Everything's fine. Thank you. No, but, uh, but in, in, the, in the topic and the stuff we want to talk about today is, is just super important. I, um, one of my favorite things to do is premarital counseling. Uh, I, I just love doing that. And one of the things in the very first session, after I hear their story and how they got together and, you know, why they love each other and why they want to get married, and, and then I just kind of set the reason we do premarital and all that kind of stuff. And then I'll always just tell them, it's like, hey, I just want you to know marriage can rock. It can be awesome. And half the time, about half the time, couples will look back at me and go, thank you for saying that. (laughs) They said, because it just feels like so many people we talk to, it's just like, it's almost like we're feeling almost discouraged about getting married. <laughs> and we look around us and we see all the struggles with marriage. And it's like, but marriage actually can be awesome. And you know why? Because it's God's idea. It, it, this, this whole idea of marriage was God's idea. And if it's God's idea, then it can be something that's really positive. And so, um, so in light of that, though, uh, go ahead and share how you were feeling about marriage, babe. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Some of you may know that prior to meeting David, I wasn't super excited about ever being married. Or after meeting me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let's just be That's true. Just That's true, too. <laughs> Even as I was falling in love with David, um, I had a hesitancy. And part there were multiple reasons, but part of it for me was the many of the marriages that I was close to or witness to, I felt like what I saw was a woman who kind of disappeared um, and lost their voice and lost who they were under um, their husband. And that just was not going to float my boat. So (laughs) I didn't understand um, what was going on, but I knew that something in me 
uh, just thought that I was not made for that and wasn't very interested in it. And it's interesting because the I would say that what I was wrestling with was the issue of submission, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. Well, and yeah, but I, before that, I just want to say I, it was just the opposite for me. Like, I actually couldn't wait to be married. And, and I think that part of the reason was because of what I did witness. So mm-hmm. just the opposite of Susie. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom and dad just had, had a great marriage. And one of, my, one of my favorite little memories, it's funny because I don't remember a lot of stuff, but I have these things that just got stuck in my head. And I think I was like maybe nine or 10. I was pretty young. And I was washing dishes with my mom. And we were just having a conversation. And I'll never forget her telling me, David, you just make sure you love your wife the way that your dad loves me. And um, he does. <laughs> and, uh, but no, but see, so Susie witnessed women disappearing in marriage. And I witnessed my dad just constantly elevating my mom. And she felt that. She just felt so loved, so esteemed. And, and so they had this beautiful thing. And so I couldn't wait for that. And, um, and so, yes. <laughs> so now when we, when we knew we were going to do this series and I came home and told Suze, hey, we'd like to do this together. What, what should we talk about? Mm-hmm. And, and when we talked about it, we decided that we should talk about the hardest thing mm-hmm. and yet the best thing. Mm-hmm. And that is submission. And isn't that a great word? Aren't you all excited <laughs> to talk about submission? No. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's what freaked her out and, and wasn't too excited about it. So, yeah, I, I think that I'm, I'm never excited to be up here on stage. It's just not my thing. But I'm excited to talk through um, this topic because um, my heart has so shifted. There are so many years, even after falling in love and getting married and realizing that marriage is a wonderful gift um, from God, I still struggled with the passage we're going to teach out of tonight. We're teaching out of First Peter, um, where it specifically says, wives, submit to your husbands. And this passage has been so misused over the the probably the centuries or whatever by... by um, Men who I have seen use this passage to be an excuse for calling their wives to shut up and sit down. And, um, and so there were a lot of years when I'd read First Peter, I just kind of skimmed over it. Do you guys do that? There's a passage that is unsettling for you, and I just, I'm not even going to think about that. Just don't, just look the other way while you're reading. And then um, I can't remember how many years ago I decided to just dive in and actually look at the scriptures and study it for myself. And my heart was so revolutionized. Like when you actually look at the passage, it's one of the most beautiful things. And it's now one of my favorite parts of scripture. So I'm excited to talk about it. Oh, I keep going. You're next. <laughs> we, tried, we tried so hard to make this seamless. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're teaching out of 1 Peter, and we're going to specifically be mostly in chapter 3, the first few verses. But really, the, the context is very important for how we're teaching this tonight. The whole book of 1 Peter, if, um, if you're familiar with it, you'll know that it's kind of viewed as this letter that Peter wrote to people who were being persecuted a lot for their Christian faith. Like, they were in a rough situation in a culture that wasn't super 
um, geeked about them being followers of Christ and who um, were trying to shut them up. And um, they were very oppressed and very... And so Peter's writing to them to encourage them, to give them hope, and also to help them know how to live. How do you even live in the context of a world where you're being oppressed? So that is the overarching flow or purpose of Peter's letter to these Christians. Um, but the, the specific context of the verses we're going to talk about um, is really different than that. And for me personally, my personal sense of what the overarching thing of is in First Peter is it's about suffering. It's about... That's why we're doing this for marriage. <laughs> It's ironic, isn't it? Um, But it's about, you know, Paul so often said things like, to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. And um, that he personally wanted to know the fellowship of suffering of Christ. And we're so often encouraged. And I think that's just, we spend so much of our energy as particularly American Christians, avoiding suffering. Um, But he's really talking about actually willfully choosing to behave and to live in a way that will cost us. And um, and so, so part of that is to, you're a new creation. You are a new people. You are not, um, you're just not the same. You're in the kingdom of light. And so it's just going to look different. Your, your relationships with authority are going to look different. Your relationships with your neighbors are going to look different. Your relationships with slave owners are going to look different. And your marriage is going to look different. It's just in this context of um, our, the choices we make to submit because of Christ in many different ways. And marriage is just one of them. Yeah, so let me just go, I'm just going to really quickly give you the context that happens right before we get into the marriage piece. Mm-hmm. And so in light of everything Susie just said, 1 Peter 2, 9, he says, he goes, but, but you, right? So here's how the world's living. Here's what's happening. Here's the struggle you're facing trying to live this Christian life in this culture. He says, but you are a chosen people. You're chosen. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And holy means set apart. You're supposed to be different than everything else around you. Um, you are God's special possession. I mean, those are, these, are, these are amazing things, you guys. This is, this is what you and I are as followers of Christ. And then he says, why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's who we are. We are God's special possession, a holy nation, a chosen people. And he did this. He rescued us and redeemed us and then made us these new creations so that we would declare the praises of him because he's called us. Don't live like the rest of the world. I'm calling you out of that. I want you out of darkness and you're into light. You're going to shine my light into the world. And then here's what's crazy. Right after he says that, he says this. So submit yourself, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority. And then he goes on and explains that. And he goes then, and submit yourselves to your masters, because at that time they had slaves. So the very, this whole theme, he goes, God has called you out of this darkness. 
He wants you to be completely different. Here's what you do. You submit to authorities, and then you submit to masters. And then, and as I thought about it, again, when we think about this, we go, well, this is so different. What do you mean that this is how I should be in a world that's really tough? But I just want to tell you, James 3, uh, 17 and 18 is one of my favorite passages. It says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, and submissive. Just the wisdom that comes from heaven. So how we're supposed to act in all of our relationships, which Mike, you know, Rutledge did a great job in the uh, two weeks ago, kind of laying the foundation here that everything that we talk about in, in, in marriage relationships, man, that's just relational. So what we're going to talk about here in submission, apparently this is about all of our relationships. Mm-hmm. This is how we're supposed If you actually want to follow the way of heaven that came to earth in Christ, he's like, the way you do it, is you're actually submissive, which is just crazy. But that's what Jesus was. Jesus Christ lived this for us, and he showed us how to do it. So he actually sets the example. So that's the first thing we're going to talk about is Jesus sets the example for us about how we're supposed to be acting in all of our relationships in, in, in relationships at work, in relationships with your family, in relationships with roommates, in any dating relationship, and in marriage, okay? So Jesus sets the example in 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22. It says, look, look at this. To this you were called. To actually be submissive in a really tough situation. Jesus, the scripture's like, you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then he goes and he explains it in verse 22. Yeah, well, well, how, how, did, how was Jesus like this? He says, well, well, when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And as I was sitting there and I was thinking about this, it, it, you know, the context for how did Jesus live his life that is the example for how we're supposed to live in our marriages is he was, you guys, he was never thinking about himself. He was never thinking about himself. And I want to tell you what, man, that, that is so tough because we are just born to think about ourselves. Very naturally, that's what all of us do. And, and I just remember, I, I thought I was a really good guy until I got married. <laughs> and uh, seriously, it's like, but then when you have to live with someone like every day, it's like, wow, all of a sudden you realize how selfish you are. But Jesus never was. And he lived, and here's what's crazy. And he lived a perfect life of submission to his father. Mm-hmm. He says, I don't do anything on my own. Whatever the father tells me to do, I do. So in here, he says, he entrusted himself to the father. So he goes, God, whatever's going on, I trust you. So he didn't have to take control. He didn't have to make things happen. He didn't have to defend himself. He could totally be submissive. In Ephesians 5.1, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Okay? So that's what we're going to be talking about here. Mm -hmm. 
marriage, and I'll hit this later, is actually about worship. But so is every relationship we have with each other. If we worship God and esteem him and trust him, then what God is saying is that I'm going to lead you to be submissive to one another. So here's what's true from the Bible. You and I were called out of darkness, not no selfish ambition, into light, into his kingdom. And you were called to a life of submission and you were called to live like Christ. So, that sets the context. And here was the craziest thing for Susie and I. So here's this whole chapter one and two and all this tension and, 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 and struggle with the world around us. And, and, and Jesus is like, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and suffer and I'm not gonna retaliate. And Peter's writing all this down and you can just sit in there and he goes, man, this makes me think of marriage. <laughs> and, and, and yeah. Really, it's, it's just so weird. And again, it's such a bummer because we have our chapters that, they, you know, that our writers put in there. Do you guys know that the Bible wasn't written with chapters? And so we read this and we go, oh, chapter three, different topic. Mm-hmm. Not a different topic. Mm-hmm. The very flow of Peter's thought was Jesus completely surrendered his life to others and to God. This is the key to marriage. Yeah, which I think that's why this passage has been used in a confusing way is because we take it out of its context. Um, but if, if you've... Learn how to study your Bibles, you know, to look, notice connective words. What, what is the therefore, therefore? And this um, chapter 3, verse 1 starts with the words in the same way. Um, I'll go ahead and read it. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 3, 1 through 5. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 5. That's how you say it. Um, <laughs> wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe in the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold and jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Um, I'm going to use the New American Standard. That was not the New American Standard. Um, but I, um, So I'll try to connect the two. But um, in the same way is following this the whole lineup that David just talked about. And I th- remember when I sat down to study this passage, and I'm like, in the same way as what? And I looked back and realized he's saying in the same way that Jesus submitted himself to God and therefore didn't retaliate or fight for himself, in the same way as Jesus, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Um, so, as you'll see a theme as I talk about this. It keeps coming back to Jesus and who he is. It has very little to do with who our husbands are and everything to do with who Jesus is. Um, it says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. And I want to highlight for a minute the fact that it says, your own husband. This is key. Again, in in Ephesians, when it's talking about wives submitting to their husbands, it uses the same phraseology. Note 
that this means, this is not a verse that means every woman everywhere should be submissive to every man everywhere because she's a woman and he's a man. This is simply talking about marriage. I'm to submit to David um, in a particular way as his wife. And it's not um, meant to be something that can be used as a tool to oppress women as less value than men, which it has been. And it's just simply not scripturally. I'm to submit to David and um, as his wife. And there's beautiful reasons for that. That's um, not a universal submission, I think is what I'm saying, in the sense of women submitting to men. I do think it's universal in the sense that uh, Ephesians 5.21, when talking to all believers, says to everyone, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. There is mutual submission in the body of Christ, um, but it's not simply gender-based, if that makes sense. Um, In the same way, you wives submit yourselves or be submissive to your own husbands. Okay, the big word, submission, submit. A couple things about this. First of all, um, it is a military term, primarily. And so it's not a value term. It's not a a term that means because you're a lesser person, you kowtow to somebody. (laughs) It's a military term that simply meant to stand under, like... If you're fighting a war, it's very, very important to have this order, to know, um, to know who I'm submitted to, like, and um, it's a willing submission. The word can be used in a way that like the, the creation was subjected to futility through the fall, but um, this is in the middle voice, which means it's a, it's a choice that you're making. It's not something where a husband can turn to a wife and say, you have to submit to me. This is, this is in the middle voice. So it means I, as a wife, because I have authority over myself and my choices and out of reverence for Christ, I can be subject to my own husband. Um, it's actually not a, a derogatory term at all. I mean, Jesus was one of the most submissive human beings. It was his power and his strength that allowed him to submit to the Roman government while he was living and pay the taxes. Like, it's just, it's it's not, I was pleasantly surprised, I guess, when I studied the word. Um, but let's move on. Okay, sorry. I could talk for hours about this passage. I want to highlight that um, It says that, no, yeah, okay. There's two other words that are important before we get to verse four, which is what I want to highlight. But it says that this beauty of a wife living in a certain way is imperishable. And in 1 Peter, the word imperishable is used two other times before this. Our inheritance in heaven is imperishable or unfading, And the seed of Christ planted in our hearts through the word of God is unfading. And so here we have the third time, again, unfading, imperishable is the kind of beauty that a woman can display um, from her inner person. And it's precious. Uh, I think the translation we read said it's of great worth in God's sight. But the word is actually precious. 
And it is used also four other times in this first half of First Peter to refer to the blood of Christ and to Christ himself as our cornerstone and to the testing of our faith. So this, the, the fact that this kind of heart is precious in the sight of God is so, so exciting to me as somebody who wants to please God, to know that my faith and my heart can be as precious to him as the blood of Christ. Um, it's just a neat word. Anyway, the kind of heart that he's looking for is one that is meek and quiet. And um, those words, again, for those of us who've grown up after um, women's liberation and grown up in the generation of Americans here, we don't like the word meek. And we certainly don't like the word quiet. And I think that there, I spent a lot of time as a young person thinking that this referred to a certain personality type. Um, and I didn't fit that personality type very much. Um, I think you guys tend to know me as a quiet person, but I'm actually pretty strong and stubborn. Yep. <laughs> um, <Just> so. <laughs> very competitive. I am so competitive. Yeah. Um, so I just want to just give you a little insight into these words because they're actually one of the most beautiful things Jesus has ever asked of us. Um, the, I'll, I'll stick with quiet first, the second word in that phrase. The word quiet does not mean silent or muzzled. That, um, that, there's actually a Greek word that refers to silence um, and to being muzzled. Um, this is hesukios, which means tranquility arising from inside, causing no disturbance to others. This is a kind of quiet that comes from an undisturbed heart. Who doesn't want to be a person of so much peace that the quiet of their own heart is what spills over in their relationships? It's one of the most beautiful things when you walk into a room and there's somebody who has a quiet spirit. They're just calming. So no matter what's going on in the life around them, no matter what my husband is saying, no matter what my master's doing, no matter what the government is saying, I can have an inner reservoir of silence, of tranquility that causes my demeanor to be unprovocative. The first word, meek, um, is one of my favorite words now in scripture. And I just want to highlight that meek is how Jesus talked about himself. In uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, come to me if you're tired and put my yoke on you and I will give you rest because I am meek and humble of heart. Jesus referred to himself as meek. Matthew referred to the Messiah as meek when he was quoting Zechariah 9, 9. It's amazing. It's an amazing word. Um, And I'm going to actually read to you directly from the Vines Expository Dictionary um, so that I don't mess it up. Am I doing okay on time? Okay, I'll I'll speed it up. I'll speed it up. I knew this was going to happen. All right. The word for meekness um, 
In its use in scripture, in which it has a fuller, deeper significance than in non-scriptural Greek writings, is, um, it consists not in a person's outward behavior only, nor yet in his relations to fellow men, and it has little to do with mere natural disposition. Rather, it's an inwrought grace of the soul, and the exercises of it are first and chiefly towards God. It is that temper of spirit in which we accept God's dealings with us as good. And therefore, without disputing or resisting him, it's closely linked with the word um, for humility. Um, I'm going to skip ahead. The meekness manifested by the Lord and commended to the believer is the fruit of power. The common assumption is that when a man is meek, it's because he cannot help himself. But the Lord was meek because he had the infinite resources of God at his command. Described negatively, meekness is the opposite to self-assertiveness and self-interest. It's equanimity of spirit that's neither elated nor cast down simply because it's not occupied with self at all. So... The part I skipped over is basically a a section also in here that talks about meekness. If I am not wrestling with God, if I am submitted to God, then I don't, it affects my relationships. And not just my relationship with David, it affects my relationships with everyone. I don't have to fight for myself or my rights. I don't have to wrestle and stand up for myself, um, not because I'm weak but because out of the inner power and strength of God, I am submitted to him. It's a, it's a vertical thing that affects my horizontal relationships. And this is what Jesus is calling us to through Peter in the letter that he wrote to these people, just saying um, this beautiful inside quality of a quiet and meek spirit is so powerful. It's the most powerful thing. If you're living with a husband who doesn't know Jesus the most powerful thing you can do is be right, re, light, rightly related to God and have his peace in your heart because that will spill over in a life that is so attractive because you're not worried about yourself and you're not fighting for your rights, but you're submitted to your husband willingly as a gift, as a choice. Segway. <laughs> awesome. All right, so Jesus sets the example, how to do it, and then he says, wives, follow my example. Mm-hmm. This is who I am. I'm meek, I'm gentle, I'm submissive. And then he says, husbands, you too, <laughs> follow my example. Look at this, in verse 7, the next verse, says, husbands, in the same way. So, so right there, wives, in the same way, here's how you reflect Jesus. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift. Weaker partner. How many women just thrilled right when I said that? All right. We'll get to that in a second. Respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Mm-hmm. Now, I, again, I, this is not for Susie and I and apparently other translators. Other versions, it doesn't say be considerate with your wives. It says, Live with your wives in knowledge. 
The word is knowledge. So, so we're supposed to have knowledge. Now, personally for Susie and I, I think part of that means I need to know her. Like one of the, one of the greatest ways that guys that we can respect and, and, and love and honor our wives is to actually want to know them, <laughs> be engaged in their life, find in their passions and their interests, and you get up and you support and you love them. And then in the same way, actually let them know you. I, I know that Susie, that's one of the things she shared with me with lots of friends. She just says, like a lot of guys just don't, we, we, we kind of have our walls up and we don't want anybody to know us. And so that's it. But what this passage is saying is, in the same way, husbands, live with your wives in knowledge. What knowledge? In the knowledge of Jesus. In the knowledge of the way of Christ. And then you live that way. And here's what's great. So he says, so how do you do that? How do I live like Jesus with Susie? What's he say? He says, you respect her. Now, I don't know if you want to put that verse back up there just real quick, because I'm going to keep, I respect her. But that word, you guys, is also the word honor. In some versions, you say, how I live like Jesus with Susie is I honor her. You know what that word means? You lift someone up. You revere them. In fact, if someone had a position, right, then that was like where honor was expected, whether if they were in a position of authority, you would say, that was the word about that. And I honor you. I lift you up and put you in your rightful place. And what God is saying, hey, guys, if you want to live like me with your wife, then you lift her up and you honor her. You put her in the place. You revere her. Why? Because she's a woman. That's why. And so that's like Jesus. That's what he does. Again, he's not thinking about himself. If we're thinking about ourselves and the whole idea that this got twisted and men are supposed, you know, submit to me and we're going to do it my way. It's like, oh my gosh, you just see Jesus going, you guys don't get it. You're supposed to be like me. I lay down my life for you. Remember what he said? Like Christ who suffered for you. And so what are we supposed to do, guys? We're supposed to suffer. We're supposed to not get our way and figure out what's best for us. We demean and we lift her up. And, and, I, and I think about that and um, putting Susie above me, considering her interests above your own. And Mike talked about that passage a couple weeks ago in Philippians 2. And, and, and then when it does say that, when it says, respect and honor your wife's as the weaker partner, just so you guys know, everything I've ever looked at, can we just all be honest, guys? Can we all just know women are definitely not weaker than us intellectually? <laughs> all right? So he's not talking about that. Women are definitely not weaker than us spiritually. Women are definitely not weaker than us emotionally. I mean, you know, you know what's so funny to me is how many uh, uh, guys, when you get sick, are you just the worst patient in the world? <laughs> right? Women get sick and they're like tough, man. They're just bucking up and guys are like, man, we're a bunch of wimps. So here's what, here's what we can just say. This is not saying that women are weaker spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, in any way. It simply means physically. And in that culture, when life was more physical, right? Like they knew, like in the early centuries, guys had to protect their wives. That was part of the deal. Men needed to be warriors, and they needed to handle it. And there was a lot of physical labor that went on. And if, it, if, if the guy was stronger, he's like, man, honor your wife like this. Don't make her do stuff that she doesn't need to be doing. That's all it was talking about, okay? Mm-hmm. So just 
Don't freak out about that weaker thing. Women, we realize you're way stronger than we are in most ways anyway, all right? Then he says, you respect them because of that, but then also because they are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Can you put that back up there again? Okay. They are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. What does that mean? That means we are absolutely the same. We are completely equal. There is none of this at all. There's no male or female in Christ, Jew or Greek, slave or free. We are equal heirs. And because of that, I honor her and I lift her up. And then I just think, though, as I thought about this, you guys, if we look at Jesus, what he did is he submitted to God. That's what he did. I entrust myself to God. And if I entrust myself to God, and if I worship him, then I'm going to put my wife above me. You know, years ago, it just hit me that marriage actually, you guys, is actually all about worship. It's all about worship. But let me just say again, like Mike did a couple weeks ago, actually, all of our relationships are actually all about worship. Do you remember the verse Mike used? Jesus says, Jesus, our Lord, if we worship him, that means we follow him. And what does he say? Here's my command. What is this command? Love who? Everyone. Love one another. See, so when we're not loving one another as he loved us, right, which means laying down our life and putting the other person, if we're not doing that, then we're not worshiping Jesus. We're not listening to him. Mm -hmm. And I just know for me as a man, one of the key things that Jesus did for me before I ever married Susie was just make me realize like your role, (laughs) if you love me, if you worship me, is you're going to love this woman. I think I've shared this story before. Uh, when we, I, we were trying to decide if we were going to go for this or not. And, uh, and I was definitely feeling like we should. And she was getting there. Um, so I took a walk and I was just praying. And it was one of the most profound moments with God I'd ever had. And he simply said to me, David, this is my daughter. And I love her. And I'm choosing you to be the man that I get to love her through. And I want to tell you, literally, I fell on the ground. Because from that moment on, I knew this isn't whether she's the right one for me or if she's that, or like Mike's whole message about finding Mrs. Right, right? (laughs) Had nothing to do with that. If I worship Jesus, then I love my, my wife and I lay my life down for her and I respect her and I honor her in the same way as Jesus did. So for me, you guys, when we, and Susie and us, when we look at, you know, when we went into marriage and stuff, it was, it was kind of weird. We got married late, right? So she, I was 33 and you were 30. So we were already in our 30s. And not only were we in our 30s, we had both completely surrendered our lives to Christ and we walked in obedience to him and love for him for at least a dozen years before we ever met each other. And, and I, just want to, I just want to say, I just think that when we, when we want to say, what is the key, I think, to a great marriage? It's really, it's so, I mean, it's very complicated, obviously, because we're two human beings, but it's very simple. You put the other person above yourself. And if I'm doing that to Suze, and then she's doing that to me, you don't have to fight for yourself. You don't need selfish ambition. 
but you do need Jesus to be able to do it. That's for sure. Yeah. And I think we're close. So I don't know what we can do here. We have this much. But... Yeah, we need to, we need to wrap up. Okay. I do want to say that, and this is, this is, again, we're addressing married people in a normal marriage, which is probably hard, in a bad marriage, which is hard, in a good marriage, which is hard. But we are not uh, in any way wanting to say that a, um, someone who's in an abusive, physically abusive relationship or spiritually and emotionally abusive relationship should be, um, you don't, that's a different topic. That's not this. We're not talking about just submit and stay home and get beat up every day. That's not what we're talking about. And I just wanted to make sure we said that tonight. But I do think that most of our marital struggles and the issues that we work through in our marriages, whether they're easy or hard, um, can come down to understanding that I submit to God and therefore um, my actions with you are going to reflect that peaceful heart. So I think we need to wrap up. Yeah. So, um, Ben, you guys can come up. And I... So for application, you guys, I think that really the power, because like I love when you were explaining stuff, to be meek takes power. <laughs> to be quiet takes power. To, to lay down your life for the other person takes power. And, um, and the only one who actually ever did this perfectly was Jesus. Jesus is the only one who actually has this power. And it's who he is. And I think we think power, you know, and Jesus is like, I've got a different kind of power. I've got a power that'll allow you to put yourself below. But I, I, I do, when we think about application, first thing we just realize is the first thing I think we need to figure out is you get this power by submitting yourself first to God. Because you need him. You need him to be a, a, a self-sacrificing husband and you need him to be a meek and quiet, submissive wife. We need him. And so if, you're, if we're not submitting to Jesus in, a, in our own life and just in our worship with him, I just know like for me, if I'm struggling with him, then I'm gonna struggle with her. But when I'm, when I'm connecting with him and I'm receiving his power through the Holy Spirit, then I find in my own heart, I have it. By the way, there have been times when I ain't got it at all. You guys ever wake up in the morning and you go, I am just going to be a total jerk today? Anybody ever else heard that? Like, I can just tell. I've had times where I woke up. I had one time early in our marriage. I woke up and I'm going, I literally went downstairs. I go, I can tell I'm going to be a jerk. I went downstairs and I was a jerk. And I literally had to go back upstairs and spend time with him and ask him. Here's part of your application. If you can't find the power, to put the other person above yourself, then go to the one who can and just confess to him and say, I don't have it today. They're bugging the crap out of me and I'm irritated and I want, and whatever, just be completely honest and then ask him to help you do it. And then the last thing, the application is just think of one thing. As we worship here, you guys, that's why we're gonna worship because he is the one we need. But when you walk out of here today, just find some time, probably tomorrow morning maybe, and just go, what's the one thing I could do? If you're married, what's the one thing you can do to submit yourself 
to lift the other person up? What's the one area where you've been fighting for your own way that you could repent of and act like Jesus? If you're not married, who is it? Or even if you are married, maybe it's actually another relationship where you need to be like Jesus and lower yourself and lift them up. And if you do that, that's the kingdom of God. That's heaven on earth. And that can happen in your relationships. It can. So let us pray for you. God, as we worship you now, we thank you. Jesus, we worship you and we thank you for coming down here and setting the example for us. And then thank you for the scripture that says you have been called to this because Christ suffered for you. He set an example for you. Jesus, thank you that when we were, like Mike read that scripture, when we were powerless and ungodly and sinners, that's when you just laid down your life. God, would you give us that strength? Would you give us that power? Help us to follow your example and to bring that into our marriages, into our workplaces, into our friendships, everywhere we go. For you've called us out of darkness into light. And we want to live those lives, Jesus, that bring you honor, that bring you glory, and that bring your kingdom to earth. In Jesus' name, amen.